Welcome back to my podcast, What She Wants. My name is Mandy. I'm your host, and this is my freak show of a life. I have to say today I am feeling very accomplished. Um, on Friday, I didn't get to record as much as I wanted to, so I'm sorry for the short episode, but um, we ended up leaving from Richmond after this happened. So we're at the park playing with our kids, killing some time, waiting to do my husband's part of his job, which we had promised our employer we weren't going to leave them hanging on. You know, we were going to do that much for them before we left town. And since we gave them short notice, we weren't able to give them a full two weeks. You know, they knew for about a week before we were like, no, this is, but this is the last straw. This is what happened. So he is playing with the kids at the park. They come inside to hang out with me for a while. And he goes down to do one part, which is nailing a couple of signs down. He needs to repost the signs. Of course, he takes his hammer with him. And my husband's a big guy. So... The next thing we know is that the police are behind our camper blowing their horn. They see him in the park playing with the kids because at this point the kids have gone back outside with dad. And um, so they are, they come up to him. So he's, my husband, sorry, I got interrupted with children, but so my husband is doing his, um, his signs and he was just going to do the two that were conveniently by us. And he walks down there and, um, you know, goes and has to repost it. So means he has to drive a wooden stake down to put the signs on. And when he comes back, he's out playing with the kids, and I don't know, about 10, 15 minutes has passed, and here's the police behind my camper blowing their horn at me. Well, they ride over to where my husband's at because they notice that he's not in the camper. He's out at the park. And so they're like, roll down the window, and they're yelling at him from through the window. They don't even get out of their unit to come and speak to you, you know, mano y mano with respect. No, they sit in their unit and um, voila, you're supposed to have this conversation like you're supposed to run up to them and um, stick your head in the window like you're, you know, looking for a date. <laughs> so anyway, um, he does and he talks to my husband, my husband does not do that, and he's, they're yelling across the way here, and apparently somebody called and said there was a man with a hammer, or a sledgehammer, a man with a sledgehammer. Okay, so I don't understand, and this is the point my husband never let me make, is you're a 911 operator, and this is your 911. What's your emergency? Um, yes, ma'am. I'd like to report a man with a sledgehammer. Yes, ma'am. And what is he doing with the sledgehammer? Oh, he's walking down the sidewalk. Where does it become a police matter? And how come we're not prosecuting people for these fraudulent 911 calls? I mean, really. A man's walking down the sidewalk with a sledgehammer. Did you see him smash anything? 
Um, no, ma'am. He just came from a sign. Is he talking to anybody? No, ma'am. He's not even looking up. His head is down and um, he's facing the, you know, the ground. His head is down toward the ground. Um, what is the emergency? What what was the emergency? Why why would you call nine one one? Oh, it's a man, a big man with a sledgehammer, and you're afraid. Or is it because you are a fucked up individual? Therefore, everyone must be a fucked up individual like you, and they have malicious intent the same way you do. But you're gonna call on them because you know. And this is some two-faced-ass, nonsensical bullshit. The cop went on, but, you know, after that, we went and finished the signs. We made the kids quit playing in the park. We finished our end of the deal. We called our boss and was like, look, we got to get out of town. We cannot take this anymore. No more can I take stand for this. So we left um, Friday and... You know, with my husband taking methadone makes everything complicated because the methadone clinic doesn't want to cooperate with him in order for him to thrive. Now, you would think that the purpose of a program to help someone with medicine, with with their pain and management of their medicine and management of their life because again if your doctor prescribes you a narcotic for any pain i don't care what pain it is but any pain it alters your state of mind period when you take that metformin for diabetes it alters your state of mind instead of being able to say I don't need to eat that bread and that sugar you say oh well I'll just take my pill and you become reliant on those pills I don't care what it is high blood pressure cholesterol pain pills all of it does the same thing to your brain they they used to study this in like the 60s and the 70s with placebos is placebo experiments and the fact of taking a pill changed the way that people felt so things would improve so their sugar levels would come down their blood pressure would come down they weren't taking any medicine no medicine at all it was just a fake pill it was just a sugar pill a placebo and um you know i understand that the human mind is a powerful thing and can be manipulated if you don't know how to use your own brain and so i really feel sorry for people who don't know how to use their own brain um, I felt in the beginning of our relationship that my husband was one of those people who understood the functions of his brain. Um, after, you know, he injured himself and um, it got real bad. You know, I seen a grown man cry and, and I can't stand to see a grown man cry. I mean, I understand pain is real. I give birth to children with no no drugs at all. I do it all natural, the way my great great grandmothers did. My as a matter of fact, the story is that my great um, great grandmother she gave birth in the cotton field. So she would be pregnant and picking cotton, you know, have labor contractions and work through that. And then when it was time to deliver, she would deliver the baby right there in the field and um, send it in with the younger children. 
So that's the way the story goes in my family. That was one tough broad. And um, I like to know that I got that tough genetic in me. So I guess for me, my mind is, is a different type of mindset. And I've kind of um, programmed that to myself. I, I appreciate that in myself. So I'm not real big on any kind of medicine. Doctors have tried to give me medicine for everything. You know, my iron was just a slight bit low. Do you want to take a vitamin? No, I don't. What can I eat? How can I change my diet? What can I do in my life and in my habits, you know, that will increase that small, small amount. So, you know, eating some green leafy vegetables like spinach, using my cast iron skillet more to cook with. Those are things that are going to make that little bit of difference. And those are things that I can manage instead of popping a pill. We become too reliant on pills. But anyway, you know, if, if, if you're there and you're a clinic, a doctor, medical professional of any sort, and you've taken a vow to help people to overcome their health issues and this mental block that they have, and instead what you do is inhibit them and make sure they stay right where they're at or get worse, that is a sad sad state of affairs for um, our healthcare industry. And everybody's out here preaching, we need healthcare, we need healthcare. No, we don't. No, we don't. We need um, diet control. We need self-control. We need self-discipline. We need to make ourselves great again. Because we're fat, we're lazy, we are, we are all that, all, uh, all of that. You know, that's why our communities don't thrive. You know, we're too busy sitting on our fat asses. You know, and when we stick our nose in someone else's business, we usually don't have all of the information that we need to. So here we are trying to work out this clinic thing, but we can't stay in Richmond where his clinic is. So we got to go somewhere else and then go from there to somewhere else and then go from there to somewhere else. And, you know, it's going to be a long process for us just for medication and taking care of his back pain. It'd be lovely if I could just take him to a doctor and say, hey, doc, he's got five herniated discs in the small of his back. It's called your lumbar spine. It's where it bends. You know, he can't even take a piss without bending and pressing on those nerves and causing burning sensations down his legs. You know, he can't hold it. Once he's got to go, he's got to go. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that come with that side effects of inflammation on your nervous system because that's what it's, it's causing. So that's not all that's wrong with him. That's just the main part. Like that is the, you know, the main part. Like there's nerve damage in his shoulder blades from his, you know, from his spine out to his arms. You know, there's tingling in his feelings with no feeling. There's all kinds of things that go wrong with him. And he's 50, 50 years old. You know, I imagine that it is time for his body to start feeling the effects of not being young anymore. And I have to say, when he was young, he, he you know, he didn't smoke cigarettes. He didn't use drugs. He bought, he was a bodybuilder, for Christ's sake. You know, he worked in an emergency room. Don't get me wrong. He had his wild man streak. And there's a lot of wild man that, you know, he did in his time. 
but he's done some great things as well. You know, some things that contributed to the better of his community. Like um, when he worked in the emergency room, he wasn't scared to give actual patient care. And he worked at the charity hospital. So a lot of the doctors and nurses were scared of the patients who would come in there. You know, you've got people who are on drugs and drunks and, you know, all kinds of different things. And he never shied away from them. He never lost his care about him, you know. Um, and I've met the people that he worked with once upon a time, and they say great things about him when he worked there and the things that he did. You know, he stopped um, police from pulling on people. So if you, you know, were having an argument with the, the doctor and you were trying to protest something being given to you that the doctor saw fit to give to you, you know, then the police would intervene and then they would smack you around a little bit, you know, and tie you to the bed. You know, all that stopped with him because that's not how you treat a person. And this person is sick. This person is ill. And we got to remember that. You know, he brought humanity back to it. And I appreciate those things about my husband. You know, that's the things that made me fall in love with him when I did 15 years ago. Because he had humanity in his heart even then. He was showing it to me in different ways. But he wasn't showing it to me. He was just doing what he does. You know, but if he's seen a homeless person on the, you know, the side of the road, he would bring him some food. We'd have, we had food. We'd bring him some home-cooked meal. Homeless people don't get those. They don't get those. They might get a dollar chicken sandwich from McDonald's, a dollar burger from the, the burger joint, you know, but no one really takes the time to, you know, put extra home-cooked meals in their trunk and say, dang, I've seen that homeless person. Let me give them this meal. You know, they have somewhere that'll let them microwave it. They'll eat it cold and it'll still be so delectable to them because they appreciate those things that you forget, you know seeing somebody with no shoes and no socks and get them some clothes because it's easy for you to call your boy and say, hey, look, you was talking about um, you need to get rid of some shit. I, I seen this cat. I'd, I'd like to get the shit you want to get rid of and make that happen real fast. You know, my grandfather is like the the God man in my life, meaning like this, this is the um, person I've seen walk the closest the Jesus walk in all my life, you know, didn't drink, didn't cuss. Again, he had his moments in his youth, but I never saw them. And so when I met my husband, he was not living the right kind of life. He knew it and he told me as such. And, you know, we had long talks till sun, sun, sunrise about it. And, you know, again, a lot of people that I knew didn't like him and, you know, would talk about him and say some really horrible stuff about him. And then, you know, I went to my grandfather and told him, you know, hey, granddaddy, we know that this is wrong. Life changes, though. It's not a consistent thing. Nothing in life is consistent. It's not something you're going to do for a hundred years and you're going to do this every day for the rest of your life. It's, it's, it's too, too much of a variable. But what I do see that is consistent in him is this characteristic granddaddy, this humanitarian thing. And I like that humanitarian thing because it, it reminds me of you, granddaddy. This is, this is something I see 
where I see you in him. And again, these are the things that I used to take notice of to say whether or not this was a man or this was a boy or this was a clown, you know, and I knew the difference. I still gave them some ass. I'm not going to lie. I, you know, fucked my fair share of clowns and boys and I tended to run from men. I didn't want to be I didn't want to be caught up in the man trap. I was kind of scared of that. But I let myself get caught up with my husband in the man trap and you know, again, after my granddad hears some of the things that we're doing, then my grandfather starts doing the same things. Oh, that's a good idea. And so people in the church that my grandfather attended that I was a member of as a child, they were like, man, Mandy's not living the right life, but in the wrong life, she still understands the principles of, you know, what humanitarian is, what, if you're Christian, what Jesus taught us. This is what he came down here. He didn't judge the people who were drunks and, and drug addicts at the time. He didn't judge the prostitutes at the time. He walked amongst them. And he helped them to do better in their lives and to see that love exists even in the bottom rung of this world. Love is there. Now, my granddad never stopped. Packs some of his leftovers in his car when he goes out. When he sees homeless people around town, gives them some home-cooked food. He always has someone on call who's got some clothes that they threw out of their closet and they give them to the people who need them the most. And this is a tradition that's going to carry on in the hearts of the people that I went to church with, that I grew up with. And these are the things that is going to be my grandfather's legacy, but my grandfather seen it from this scum of the earth this dope-dealing vagabond who lived in his truck. And I love it. Me and David, we still try to do the same thing. Because since we travel in a fifth wheel, people tend to think we're homeless everywhere we go. The good-hearted people in the community come and they bring us their stuff. They bring us their old clothes. They bring us children's clothes. They bring us all kinds of stuff. And I'm thankful for those people, those humanitarians, who see that we're just people. I never deny anything, and I tell someone that. Never deny it. Do you know why I never deny it? Because even if I can't use it, I'm going to find someone who can. A story to that is one day we were selling our bracelets, and we're getting ready to go on our journey of 10,000 bracelets, which was our journey of 10,000 steps to start haul, our hauling business. And I'm in the last parking lot for the day. We've been collecting monies. We've been saving our asses off, making it tight, you know, getting ready to go and do what we need to go do. There's this gas can. Now we got, we, uh, we have about three of them in the trunk. You know, two, three. We, we had our own gas cans that, you know, for ourselves. But this one, it just like glowed 
with this aura. And I was like, man, I told the kids, I got to pick it up. I have to pick it up. And I did. Picked it up, put it in my buggy. I came back. Came back to David. He's like, I don't need a gas can. I said, it glowed at me. Put it in the truck. I mean, put it in the trunk. He was like, okay, whatever you say. It's no big deal. You know, sometimes there's things that I just tell him at this point that, you know, he just doesn't question these things. It glowed. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Bitch, you're crazy. But he doesn't say that anymore. He's like, okay, whatever. And he puts it in the trunk. We leave and we go down the 50. The 50 is the loneliest highway in America because it is desolate. There is no towns on it. There is no traffic on it. It is desolate. And we get into this into some hills and we run out of gas and we're like man we don't have any gas in the cans there's a small little town coming up you know we can see some lights but it's far it's about 20 miles we're up on a peak like fuck what are we gonna do well we see somebody getting up for work because it's about four o'clock in the morning you know, we see somebody turn on the truck lights, you know, we see the yellow, and then we see the headlights, and then we see it coming straight for us. And then we watched it leave from in town and drive all the way up the hill. And my husband was like, well, go stand out there with the babies. And then that way they, they know that we need some help. I stood out there for just a few minutes. The man stopped. And he was like, y'all need some gas? Yes, sir, we do. We we didn't realize that small sleepy towns meant that everyone was still asleep and <laughs> no gas stations were open. Thankfully, um, the man had a credit card because at that point we didn't have credit cards. We only used cash. And um, he bought the gas. We tried to pay him for it, but he wouldn't accept it. And um, filled the gas cans up and brought us back up the hill. We go through town we go to the gas station because we're waiting. It's enough to get us to town. And um, we're going to wait for sunrise and the store to open up. And then, you know, we can make our purchase and be on our way. Well, in walks this um, this guy. And he's walking in town and he's looking and he's searching. And he's like, what the fuck is he going to do? And, you know, as much as you encounter people on drugs... There again, even for us, you're like, is he on drugs? Is he because he's talking to himself? He's looking wildly around. Comes up to my husband and he, my husband's like, bro, what's the matter? And he was like, well, look, my wife and my kids are up in our truck. We ran out of gas. I don't have a gas can. My husband said, well, we got plenty of gas cans, but I don't have, um, I don't have a credit card and the machine it only takes credit cards. The man said, well, I got plenty of credit cards. I just need some help. My kids and my wife are in the middle of the road with no gas on a hill in a curve. And he's like, okay, well, let's go. Look, I, you know, again, they worked the deal. The man put gas in our tank, filled up the gas cans. And we rode and went and took care of this man's wife and children in the middle of the road. And again, our hearts just went out because we were in the same fucked up position.
But this man had lots of money. He had, a, you know, things. He had things that we didn't. We were poor. He had more than than us, but he didn't. And so my husband looks at him and says, here's this gas can. My wife found it because somebody, because God told her she was going to need it somewhere else. And apparently this is for you. So have this gas can so you, you don't run out of gas again. And you know, again, the man was just completely relieved. His wife completely relieved. Their children were sleeping like mine were, you know, and probably had no idea. But they knew. And we knew. And it was, you know, one of those things where something comes to you and you don't know why you need it. But then eventually down the road, there's the answer. Bam, it's right there. You needed it. To hold on to for somebody else. And so we do that. We do a lot of that. People that will give us stuff. And then you know we won't need it. Or we don't need it. But we hang on to it for a little while. And eventually someone comes along. Who needs it. You know. And so we're like oh yeah look take. And people feel bad for taking from us. Because they feel like we're homeless. And you know. They're, again, we need everything we can get and we got to pinch on to every little treasure trove. But that's not the case. We're just poor. We're not, we're not broke, just poor. And we live within our means and we're happy to do so. You know, being poor is not something to be ashamed of. You know, it's not. So we have a nice camper and I call it a camper. It's a fifth wheel. This thing is as big as a semi truck. It's beautiful. You know, and we have nice things. We have clothes to wear. We have food to eat. You know, we have side hustles that we make money with that when we when we need to. You know, we're not dumb. We just aren't extravagant. And so, I don't even know where I started with this conversation about doing this. I know about my husband and his humanitarian side of him that I fell in love with, you know, again, it drives me crazy and I don't want to be a part of it anymore, but I can't um, forget the reasons that I fell in love with him, what, what I saw in him as a man that made my heart just want to spend the rest of my life with him. Yeah, and even now, as I think of leaving him, I don't think of leaving him completely. Because everyone else that I ever left, I shut the door on and did not look back. I, but for him, I'm like, no, let's try to do something a little different. And how can I keep him in my life but not <laughs> make it so that he can, you know, be a part of the some of the things that we do without having to be a part of me, you know. And I don't know, maybe I'll figure it out. Maybe I won't. Either way it goes, I'm still going to do what's best for me, which I'm going to hit the end button on this recording and start a new one to talk about all the goals that I have uh, accomplished yesterday that I'm very proud of myself for doing. So, thank you for listening to me ramble on. I hope that it inspires you to do an act of humanitarian um, in your town. You know, again, clean out your stuff and take it to someone who 
you see it with pushing a buggy. They need some blankets. They need some socks. You know, they need stuff. Maybe you have what it is that they need. Have a great day.